Hey there, friends. Welcome to the Happy Habit Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew. I like to talk health and well-being every Monday and Thursday. If you're new, please consider subscribing and sharing and uh, leaving the podcast a positive review. If you're getting value from this series, there are over 300 episodes in the archive. So doubtless to say there's something, I think, for everybody in there. Now, regular listeners will know every so often I like to conduct interviews and if I find a book that I think is of interest and relevant to this podcast, well, then I like to talk about that book. And uh, that's exactly what I'm going to do in this episode. Craig Wright, PhD. He's written a really, really interesting and excellent book entitled The Hidden Habits of Genius. Now, obviously, the fact that it had habits in the title immediately appealed to me. That's a given. But regular listeners will know that this podcast focuses quite often on ways to become the best version of ourselves that we can be. So the habits of geniuses, those women and men that embody the very highest point of human brilliance and achievement, really captured my attention. Plus, I have always been fascinated with two geniuses in particular – Leonardo da Vinci and Michelangelo, both of whom appear in this book. So I thought by reading this book, I might glean some tips as to how I might perform at a higher level in my everyday life and pass some of those tips on to you. Wright himself is a professor emeritus of music at Yale University, where he runs a course on the subject of genius. Now, at the outset, the author points out that the term genius is overused today. And come to think of it, so are the terms icon and legend. Craig tells us the reason is because of our human fascination with and desire to understand the unknown. The term genius also excuses our own shortcomings and failures. What are geniuses really like? What are their habits? And what can we learn from them? Genius cannot be inherited, so there is no genius gene, which was news to me, plus talent and genius are two totally different things. What makes a genius stand apart is their originality. They are also able to see change coming. Combining both concepts, geniuses have extraordinary mental powers whose original works or creations change society. They make an impact because of their creativity. Geniuses are also contrarian in the way they think. They think outside the box. They see what others don't see. In this book, the author breaks down geniuses' traits and attributes a chapter to each one. There are in all 14 traits, and while geniuses possess all traits, some possess more of one trait than another. Now, while we won't go through all 14 traits and 14 chapters, let's have a look at some of the more significant traits. The first trait is that of work ethic. Are geniuses gifted or do they have to work hard? Well, looking at Leonardo da Vinci, he had a gift of observation. He was literally able to freeze frame any object in motion, remember it and draw it on demand in mind-blowing detail. Michelangelo, too, had a photographic memory. Nikola Tesla had an eidetic memory. Mozart and Ella Fitzgerald had perfect pitch. Indeed, Mozart had a phonographic memory. While talent may be heritable, genius, as we said, is not. And geniuses have a habit of working hard because they are obsessed. As Michelangelo said once, if you knew how much work went into it, you wouldn't call it genius. 
the author illustrates the difference between a regular person who works hard at their craft and a genius. Indeed, he was a pianist himself who, by the age of 22, had practised for about 18,000 hours. But he wasn't an extraordinary player because he lacked the requisite gift to be deemed so. While you can achieve a very high level through practice, you can never reach the levels of genius. Extraordinary ability makes practice fun and easy and pushes the player to want to do even more and reach greater heights of achievement and standard. Practice is the result. The initial catalyst is the natural gift. A genius is also different because at the top of their mountain they create something completely new, something transformative. Practice makes the old perfect, but there's no innovation. So, in summary, genius is the product of nature and nurture. The author dismisses standardised tests like the IQ test as a measure of intelligence because the focus of these tests is too narrow. They make no room for analysing creative ingenuity or thinking outside the box. We are told that academic excellence is no strong predictor of career excellence because academic grades don't test qualities like leadership, creativity and emotional intelligence. Instead, these tests are a test of memory, simple regurgitation. Charles Darwin's early academic record was poor, as was Winston Churchill's. Einstein graduated fourth in a class of five physicists, imagine that, and Walt Disney was a below-average student. Traditional academic goals are designed such that students hit a predetermined target rather than creating an as-yet-unseen one. The latter is what geniuses do. So an IQ is not a measure of intelligence, and an outstanding graduation result is no gateway to success. Next, the author looks at genius and gender, and this is where men really should stand back, stay quiet and take note. If I ask you right now to think of five geniuses off the top of your head, how many women will spring to mind? Probably one. Marie Curie. That's not because she was an exception or an anomaly, but because her achievements were literally so outstanding. Curie won two Nobel Prizes, one for chemistry and other for physics. So her genius simply could not be ignored, but not so with so many other female geniuses who went unappreciated by virtue of the fact that they were simply not men. To illustrate how sexist culture and society has been even to this day, novelist Catherine Nichols sent a query letter describing her unpublished book to 50 literary agents under her own name and also under a man's name. 17 of the publishers accepted the book for review under the man's name, while only two did so when she submitted under a woman's name. Successful men have been excluding women from the genius club for eons. Think about it, what female philosophers, architects or engineers from history do you know? Traditionally, and still to this day, women have an uphill battle in STEM, that is, the sciences, technology, engineering and maths fields, because these are male-dominated environments and they lack female role models or geniuses. Women make up only 3% of the most influential political figures in history. Fanny Mendelssohn is one of the very, very few well-known female composers from history. 
While women make up half of the population and did so down through history, they have been depicted as unimportant, thanks to men. Virginia Woolf said herself that genius is an all-male construct. Men feared women because of some obscure masculine complex. As a result, many female geniuses disguised their identities and gender. Jane Austen, for example, published Pride and Prejudice anonymously. Mary Shelley did the same when she published Frankenstein. Charlotte Bronte used the pen name Curer Bell. Even in the Bible, Eve is said to be formed out of a man and was little more than a seductress. Historically, women's formal education was practically non-existent. Indeed, women couldn't even vote in the UK until 1918. So women have been fighting centuries of deeply embedded cultural and gender bias that has killed the creative careers of many gifted women and geniuses. And when they did achieve, their achievements were attributed to men, as was disgracefully the case with Rosalind Franklin, who was an English chemist and X-ray crystallographer, whose X-ray photos provided a critical piece of information in the identification of the double helix structure of DNA. The images, alas, were taken from her by her male colleagues. They won the Nobel Prize. She did not. History demonstrates that for a woman to become and be recognised a genius, she needs more grit than her male genius counterpart. It's that simple. The author moves to the subject of prodigies. Now, we often see news clips or clips on YouTube of toddlers playing piano concertos as the world anoints them the next prodigy, the next big thing. But the term prodigy has become synonymous with genius, and this, according to the author, is a mistake. Most prodigies, while possessing gifts, are simply doing nothing more than replicating what they can see or hear. Very rarely do any musical prodigies, for example, become a serious creative force, composing new music and changing the direction of the field they occupy. Mozart, however, was an exception. He was a child prodigy and genius. He was playing the keys expertly from three or four years of age, but also demonstrating that he was able to compose and create new, innovative works of art. So miraculous was his playing, and so groundbreaking were his compositions, that he played for kings and queens across Europe while he was still only knee-high. Similarly, Picasso was drawing at three, and philosopher John Stuart Mill was writing of the history of Rome at six years of age. Prodigious geniuses like Mozart change the world through their original thinking. They alter society, whereas prodigies merely mimic. The interesting thing is that many geniuses, it seems, share a life crisis, which precipitates their finding their artistic voice or vision. Many geniuses, it seems, have experienced the loss of a parent. See Michelangelo, Leonardo, Newton, Bach, Beethoven, Mary Shelley, Lincoln, to name but a few. But it seems these geniuses use their misfortune as fuel to spur them on in their chosen field. Another trait of geniuses is they possess a childlike imagination. The author uses the example of the teenage Mary Shelley, who created the most famous horror novel of all time. Indeed, it spawned an entire literary genre. The moral dilemma of Frankenstein is the need to weigh the positives of scientific discovery against the negatives and impose ethical standards. 
But how did a teenage girl with no formal education come up with such a moral and horrifying creation? Well, no genius is an island, and Mary, it seems, read a lot of books and used her vivid imagination when writing herself. Picasso said, every child is an artist. The problem is to remain an artist as we grow up. Einstein used his imagination when constructing mathematical theories during his thought experiments. Walt Disney used his imagination to create multiple worlds with many multiple characters, which all started when he drew Mickey Mouse on a train one day in 1948 on his way to Hollywood. Jeff Bezos said you have to have a childlike ability not to be trapped by your expertise. Maintaining that fresh look, that beginner's mind, is hard to hold on to once you become an expert. Imagination is more important than knowledge, as knowledge is limited while imagination is limitless. And imagination feeds creativity. I smiled when I saw the title of the next chapter called Develop a Lust for Learning. As I've said many times on this podcast before, life is for learning. And so it seems a desire to constantly learn is a trait common to all geniuses. Elizabeth I was an avid reader, devouring all forms of knowledge in areas as diverse as the classics, Latin, philosophy and languages. Learning gave her power. For geniuses, the desire to understand is like an itch that needs scratching. Great minds are vexed by a problem that needs a solution. Case in point being Marie Curie, who was driven to solve the puzzle of radiation. This is a human trait. We all want to know what we don't know. Leonardo da Vinci was arguably the most curious person in history. He was obsessed with understanding how things worked. And once he mastered how something worked, he moved on to the next thing that stoked his curiosity. And this is the reason why so many of his artworks remained unfinished. But his scope of interests was immensely broad. He was curious about everything, from hydraulics to astronomy to anatomy to maths to urban planning. Leonardo left 13,000 pages of notes and 100,000 sketches, Old Testament to his endless curiosity and desire to learn. Another genius who was and is constantly curious is Oprah Winfrey, who as a child fought to learn, throwing herself into books about troubled women like Anne Frank. To this day, she remains an avid reader and established her famous book club so that she may inspire other young women and girls from similarly disadvantaged backgrounds to fall in love with reading and learning. This matters, she says, because it opens a door to a real life, one of discovery, and you can't get through life without it and succeed. Benjamin Franklin was also a lifelong learner and reader. He had a personal library of over 4,000 books and would go on to invent the concept of the public library. He found time for self-improvement, mostly on Sundays, teaching himself what he needed to know in order to answer any questions about which he was curious. Such as proving lightning in the sky and electricity were the one and same thing. Nikola Tesla was also an avid reader and learner. He predicted MRI machines, cell phones and the internet. Recent research has linked curiosity to happiness, satisfying relationships, increased personal growth and increased creativity and purpose. 
Evolutionary psychologists believe humans are born curious, but lose it over time, whereas geniuses seem to retain their childlike curiosity. Einstein was critical of formal education, saying it's nothing short of a miracle that academia doesn't entirely strangle one's curiosity. Most academic institutions today aren't concerned with encouraging students to be curious. Michelangelo, Franklin, Picasso and Edison, none of these geniuses were educated to any high standard at all. Many who attended college dropped out. See Bill Gates, Oprah and Elon Musk. Not that the author is promoting dropping out of formal education, but we can learn from these geniuses when it comes to cultivating an endless desire to learn, being open to new experiences, being fearless, embracing discomfort, asking questions and listening carefully. And with modern technology, all of these things are easier to do now than at any point in history. Another trait of geniuses is that they find their missing piece and do the thing they love doing, the thing they are passionate about. As far back as 380 BC, Plato was telling people about the power of passion. Before we engage in our passion, we have to find it. Some geniuses like Mozart and Einstein found their passion early in life, while some others took longer, like Vincent van Gogh. Ultimately, one has to enjoy what one is doing. Marie Curie spent years slaving away in a shed which was freezing in winter and boiling hot in summer as she sought out an answer to her radioactivity question. The conditions were completely inhospitable in that shed and she suffered with painful radiation burns as she performed her endless experiments. But she was oblivious to the discomfort because she was doing something she loved. As philosopher John Stuart Mill said, happiness is something that happens when you are pursuing some other purpose. The author makes reference to getting into the zone or state of flow, which we've spoken about many times before. When one is so caught up in what one is doing that one is oblivious to everything. This state of flow was experienced by Newton, who would stay for days in his room eating while thinking through solutions to problems that vexed him. Edison would work 18 hours a day, often failing to eat or sleep. The simple fact with geniuses is they cannot accept the world as it is presented to them. And the author asks us, do we see something to which the rest of the world is oblivious? Does it annoy us? If the answer is yes, well, perhaps we have found our passion and possibly our genius. Geniuses tend to be rebels, troublemakers and misfits. They are non-conformists. Geniuses bring about change, and that change affects the rest of us. And we generally don't like change, because it makes us uncomfortable. And we resist it, and so we resist the geniuses that prompt it. Galileo, for example, was arrested, as was Martin Luther. Mandela and Gandhi were imprisoned, while Joan of Arc was burned at the stake. Societal change requires time and willingness to accept that change. A genius sees things others don't and becomes excited. See Louis Pasteur, who was alarmed at the numbers dying from contaminated milk, which prompted him to develop pasteurization to kill germs. Creatives are non-conformists. They are also risk-takers. Jeff Bezos quit his job in 1994 and borrowed from friends and family to start Amazon. Steve Jobs said, you have to be willing to crash and burn. 
Adversity can stiffen resolve and failure can become opportunity for geniuses. As Oprah Winfrey said, failure is just life trying to move you in a different direction. And geniuses do fail, but they learn from their failures. J.K. Rowling was at her lowest ebb and needed to rebuild her life as she was a struggling single mom and a wannabe author. The reality of this adversity strengthened her. The author's advice is, if you are a creative type or an entrepreneur bent on change, then develop a thick skin and know that rejection is absolutely part of the process. Relish the outsider status that attends contrarian thinking, as did Galileo yesterday and artist Banksy today. And if you want to raise a bold, brilliant thinker, allow your children more freedom. Don't bubble wrap them. Let them experience failure. Let them have fun and break the rules every now and again. If you want to embrace a hidden habit of genius, then be a fox. Foxes and geniuses roam widely and are curious in random and uncontrolled ways. Da Vinci said, make yourself universal. His restlessness changed the world. Benjamin Franklin was also a typical fox, exploring a wide, diverse array of interests, from physics to astronomy to meteorology to, to politics. Indeed, he is credited with inventing many diverse inventions, including bifocals, the glass harmonica, swimming flippers, the medical catheter, and daylight savings time. The creative mind doesn't run in a straight line, it jumps frenetically. Steve Jobs said creativity is simply connecting things. The advice from the author is to wander widely. Combine things, cross trains, stay nimble and avoid sunk cost syndrome. Even Einstein disparaged specialisation. Geniuses are contrarian thinkers, thinking outside the box, thinking almost in reverse. A case in point is Edward Jenner, who inoculated people against smallpox by injecting them with pox. Thinking opposite is an old strategy embedded in arts and science. If you want to understand something, well then take it apart. See Leonardo da Vinci and human anatomy. If you want to achieve a particular result, define the end goal and work back to the beginning. A talent for seeing the importance of opposites is a hidden habit of genius. In fact, talking of thinking opposite, Leonardo even wrote back to front. Henry Ford's factories mass-producing his famous Model T Fords were inspired by slaughterhouses' production lines. Only instead of disassembling, Ford was concerned with assembling. Bezos reverse-engineered the retail experience for shoppers. Instead of them going from shop to shop, he brought the shop to them. Bezos is an example of a transformative entrepreneur who found a contrarian solution. The advice from the author is that when you are making big decisions, make a list of pros and cons, or even find a friend who can play devil's advocate to help tease out and understand your position further. Elsewhere, the Author talks about the importance of relaxation to geniuses, citing Archimedes discovering his famous principle while in the bath. It seems showers, baths, sitting on buses, trains or walking, any relaxing activity allows the brain to offer up solutions one might otherwise not have found. Dreams and sleep are also a fertile ground for answers to problems. Paul McCartney's song Yesterday came to him while he was asleep one night. So if you're suffering from writer's block or simply looking for inspiration, 
have a nap or do something you find relaxing that helps you switch off. Quite often the solution will come when you aren't actively looking for it. This is a marvellously detailed and well-researched book, citing lots of books and more quotes than you can imagine. It does a great job of humanising some of the greatest geniuses in history and shines a light on some geniuses who were deeply unpleasant human beings. Exhibit A, Picasso. While few people listening will ever reach the heights many of the geniuses in this book have reached, the book does offer some fundamental practices that one can engage in that will certainly help to increase your creativity and stoke your passion. Well, thank you for listening to this edition of the Happy Habit Podcast. Please remember to share, like, subscribe and leave the podcast a positive review. It helps us out immensely. Until next time, stay happy. Thank you.